All right. It looks like everyone is um, starting to trickle in. We've got about 30 attendees. So let's just get started. First, I wanted to welcome everyone. I'm seeing some of you are actually either previous Outco members or existing and interested Outco members. Um, today, we've got some very exciting people from an exciting chatbot startup known as Drift. So with us today, we have Elias Torres and Jeff Orkin. They represent both, um, they are the CTO and the head of AI at Drift, and they can probably talk about themselves much better than I can. Yeah. Um, so I think I'll hand over the mic to you both. Um, I think a lot of our audience is really excited to learn about what you do. Okay, absolutely. So uh, for, for right now, introduction on me, it's uh, CTO co-founder of Drift. I've been, uh, this is my fourth startup I guess I would say it's like we've done uh, with my partner, David Cancel. So we, we started a company called Lookery, a company called Performable. Uh, then we sold that company to HubSpot. And now we, and then we left to start Drip. So this is uh, four companies all in the marketing space, right? Marketing and sales space, that's really been our focus. And, and prior to this, right, we've been developing uh, automation solutions for marketing. And Drift is the first time where we now are leveraging AI to help solve that problem, right? My traditional background has really been, you know, distributed systems, building the architecture to handle a large amount of traffic, leads, database, queries. Um, but when we started Drift, we, I, I, my dream was of how do we build a company where the technology can actually leverage AI to deliver value to our customers, right? And something that we didn't do necessarily at the very beginning because we needed a use case, we needed value, we needed customers, we needed data. Uh, and but now it's something that we're at the right time and at the right place. And you know, Jeff here, uh, it's uh, runs the lab for us and is applying his technology, his work that he started at MIT uh, with Drift uh, in production now. So, so I'll hand it to, to Jeff. Um, yeah, hi everybody, I'm Jeff. Um, I've been uh, working uh, in interactive AI for um, more than two decades. I started out developing AI for video games and then got interested in, in language and decided to go back to uh, grad school at MIT for a PhD, uh, joined a group that was studying how humans uh, learn language and how we can apply those learnings to machines. And um, that led to spinning off into a startup that um, got some support from the National Science Foundation. And we, we went about five years developing the technology and, and, uh, and five years later, I met Elias and um, realized while we were uh, making some very interesting technology, we, we didn't have as much experience on the business side and it seemed like a perfect marriage to bring what we had built um, to uh, Drift's, uh, Drift's team and, and customers. And um, so for um, almost two years, we've been at Drift and uh, we've tightly integrated our um, kind of unique solution for uh, learning to converse from human data um, into Drift's uh, chat solution and um, as well as looking at, at broader applications beyond that. And um, uh, yeah, we're building some uh, fun, fun things. That's great to hear, Jeff. Yeah, I'm also a fellow MIT alum. I don't know if you can see this in the background, but 
Um, this is excellent. So, you know, to summarize for those of you who are in the audience, like we've got a really interesting background of, you know, serial entrepreneur in Elias um, with four startups in marketing and the applications of technology to that. And then we have Jeff here who has been so blessed to be working on NLP problems and how he got there from his like journey in uh, the video game industry. And I think a lot of us here, myself included, I love video games. I think it's exciting to see that intersect. Um, and so, you know, um, I actually am the director of AI within Alco. And so something that's quite exciting for me too is seeing how you guys apply and use some of the most common machine learning infrastructures uh, in order to actually, you know, deliver some operable service. Because we typically, you know, we only have four weeks, so we are teaching them like the bare basic fundamentals. Um, how to build like a fundamental machine learning pipeline and then how to, you know, work with some of the hottest models like transformers. And so I'm curious, Jeff, um, maybe if you could share without, you know, giving away any of your secret sauce, like what are some common ML infrastructures that you guys use in industry for online chatbots? Um, what do you guys use at Drift? Do you hit onto those models like transformers? Maybe before we, we go into that, I think, um, let me give a little intro on like, I, I feel like um, one of the things that if you want to become a more valuable engineer, you have to understand the business value of what you're, you're solving for, right? It's not just about applying the technology and like I said, this is great. Like as engineers, what I want to encourage as an entrepreneur and an engineer, I want to encourage you guys to be like, why? what problem are you solving and and how will this person see it right see the value of it um, be, besides just building the technology and going in today so i'll give you a basic thing about about chatbots right which is um we started with a decision tree based bot solution that we would because what people are trying to solve with drift is like how do they talk to more visitors on their website at scale they just can't have humans uh, and responding 24-7 in under one second response time to every request. Just the, the fact of finding humans, hiring humans, making them available, paying them, training them, dealing with, you know, hiring, that is a huge problem. And so that's, that's what we're here to solve, right? And so to do that, we have to figure out what tools do we build for them? How do we build just you know, dialogue flow equivalents that they go in and, and create that themselves. The, and we, when you're going to find out is like, you have to understand, does the customer have the skills necessary to do their own training or their own design of conversation path? How much helping do they, do they need? How do they trust their response? How do they, how do they deal with they don't understand and they say that that answer was a bad answer, right? So this is like, a big part of the process, right? That you got to make sure, like, it's not, I did this transformer, I did this, you know, look at uh, uh, Mina, look at this bot from Facebook, look at this great example of X. It's like, we have to figure out how to deliver in chunks that the customer is going to let it be in production 24 seven, right? And so like, just always keep that in mind, right? It's, uh, I think, of, of how, what you're doing, how you're going to deliver all the way to production, right? Yeah, Elias is making a really good point because like something that's really guided what we've developed um, both when we were an independent startup and, and after we joined 
drift is we wanted we didn't want to just use whatever the best newest coolest ai was to just learn to converse it was important that um there was a human in the loop that humans could control um what the bot was going to say when and and understand um have the results be explainable and um so what what we've uh come up with is is a hybrid architecture that combines some uh a lot of human input in terms of annotating data and and creating some guiding decision trees combine that with machine learning initially um we were focused on support vector machines um more recently like everybody we've moved to transformers and uh like you brought up Sean um we're using uh bert models um from google uh and the the hugging face libraries um to uh to use uh transformers for for training and and runtime um and and no doubt transformers were amazing they got us like a 10 point boost in accuracy of understanding what people were saying um but uh that was on top of uh an architecture that we already had running with simpler models um that was having really good results um uh due to uh being able to understand the context of of um the conversations they were having um which which we get through human interpretation of the data humans tagging data at multiple levels to um understand what do individual utterances mean what do sequences of utterances mean that's great yeah so this ties into um maybe a larger principle that we like to teach um and i also practice this i appreciate you elias about bringing up the value of the business context um in my role at bmw i actually work on like ai applications in the context of like emerging technologies and so um for everyone listening in like elias is totally on point i mean you know he's led like four startups and um i think it is really important for us to consider like what is that business context and more particularly sometimes you know it might seem fluffy but that's actually like critical because sometimes you know as you hook on to what jeff just said what matters most is about being effective to addressing that business solution right and so sometimes you don't need to always use the sexiest model you don't need to use like a transformer if something simple like a decision tree approach can actually do the bare minimum but still bring massive value um and you know even Eli said some really great points about how there's a massive overhead in having to hire and train all of these workers so how can you one either reduce that cost or two make the existing ones more effective so that's really exciting and um maybe this like sort of naturally bridges into another question that i was hoping to ask both of you which is in terms of you know how you might manage your data um how would you be able to basically present that data in a way that is clearly understandable for let's say a product marketing manager um to understand how your chatbot develops its own responses to user queries So maybe like another way to rephrase that is just like how does your chatbot maybe work on a very high level? I think some people in the audience are super new to this. So if you could like maybe just explain in general like how a chatbot works that might be also helpful. Um 
Yeah, I mean, so to give, put this into a little bit of context, like chatbots, there's kind of this spectrum out there on the market where on the one end are decision tree-based bots where you just create in some kind of editor a little graph that says, ask this question, and depending on the answer, move to here or here. And um, those answers might be um, collected through button clicks or uh, trying to understand the language, either through something simplistic like keyword spotting or something more sophisticated like a machine learning model, statistical model. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's like some of the research that's coming out of Facebook and Google where you just pour like millions of uh, example conversations into a system and it just learns how to converse. And there are pros and cons on either side relating back to what we were just talking about, like the decision tree, you've total control over it, but the weakness is that it can be pretty brittle if, if somebody says something it didn't expect. On the other end of the spectrum, it can be pretty flexible, but you might not have any control over what it's going to say. And so it might not be viable for some business use case if, if you can't guarantee that um, you know how it's going to answer certain questions. Um, and so we've tried to find a, a sweet spot in between that relies on um, a lot of supervision, like getting humans to annotate, um, to explain like what chunks of conversations mean. And the nice thing about that is then when the AI is running internally, it's probabilistically trying to apply those same annotations. And if necessary, we can surface those in different kinds of reporting to show someone, why did it answer this way? Oh, because it interpreted this thing someone said as meaning this, which is the same as this example from the training data, which we have configured to lead to this particular answer. Um, so we, we feel like we get the best of both worlds of the generalization to understand things we've never seen before, but within some amount of control of, of how the conversation's gonna flow. Yeah, I love that you bring up this point, Jeff, about you know the contrast between, um, again, having maybe a potentially brittle model versus something that is very robust, but that you have less control over. Um, I'm curious, how do you guys sort of like tune for that? Like, I guess like in your workforce or like, do you have basically like AB versions of the chatbot? Or like, are they like kind of like online updating or is it more of like a sort of like batch process? I'm just curious, like what is one solution that you might have worked on either at Drift or in the past? Um, I mean, we, we rely on a lot of uh, close human review of the data. Like, um, like one thing that, um, is, is kind of uh, sometimes a challenge with chatbots. I've seen it uh, in, in multiple companies is you build the bot and somebody's afraid to put it online because they're like, I don't know what it's gonna say. I, I just wanna test it some more, keep testing it. Right. But like the tests that you do internally are never very reflective of like what real customers say to a bot. So the, the best thing you can do is get a bot live and start seeing what real people say to it and uh, so we encourage customers to get their bots live sooner, but then we watch them closely and, um, you know, they might miss um, 
give the wrong answer occasionally, um, but if we see that immediately, make a correction. Our system is very um, fast and easy to add a correction, repack the model, and, and get it live again. So the very next time someone asks that question, it'll get it right. Um, the other thing we rely on is statistical models. There are different ways you can measure the confidence in the answer. Um, and so we have um, something we call novelty detection, where if we're not confident enough in the answer, then the bot kind of suppresses its, its uh, desire to say something that might be wrong and instead says something that's like, I'm not quite sure, could you rephrase that? And that has the nice effect of giving us a second chance to understand plus gathering more training data. That's very interesting. So, you know, I feel like there are two camps in the AI sort of space in general. It's some people are like, oh, like, let's get, let's basically save costs, save costs, save costs, and like get rid of humans. But the other um, sort of audience that is addressing the space, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Affectiva with um, Rana Al-Kalubi, but they're working some very interesting work that sort of emphasizes you know, human in the loop AI. And I think you even said directly, like you use close human review. So I think something that's very interesting and maybe you can either agree or disagree or modify. To me, it seems like Drift AI is creating a sort of chatbot tool that enables maybe more close collaboration between these like, again, chatbot tools that you create with like the human workers who might be either facilitating them or would need to benefit from them. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll take a beginning of that, Jeff. And I think um, we 100% we, we agree that um, there's two problems to solve, right? One is really, um, let me see, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot in here, right? I think in, in some ways, the first problem is there are some problems that we just never have been able to throw resources at it. For example, would it be great if every website had a 24-7 human being there available to answer anything? Every website in the world, right? So, so in a way, like I have a vision for saying every website should, should have a bot. Right? Every single business in the world should have a bot, you know, because we, we just never go into place humans at that level, right? So there's that, like, because navigating a website is so hard, so broken, right? Um, we, we, we need alternative ways to communicate, right? And get, and get access to the information that we need, right? And so, so, so that's, that's one type of thing. And, and then the other is that, so that in, that in that sense of the matter, like you might think is we're trying to replace humans entirely. And then the other, I'm more on the camp, and this is where, where I wanna take drift, right? It's really to augment human beings, right? It, it's- it's it, it, it's just we, we, we are focused on the B2B uh, buying process, right? And so we're, we're, what we do that is different than other companies, we're deep into understanding how sales uh, and marketing teams, organizations work in the B2B space. And what we're trying to do here is like build tools to augment what they do. And so we not only started with Jeff's system that is using humans behind the scenes to feed the model, but it's a really about what are we going to do to interact with them? That's what I say to you guys is like, I don't want to just build a chatbot that it's a great, it talks by itself because I, my goal is not 
I'll never want, I'm so far, we're so far, I think, from building the bot that is going to negotiate a million dollar contract on, uh, via chat, right? Mm -hmm. That's just not going to happen, right? However, I, I believe that one, one of the most essential uh, basic hurdles that every sales person has in the world is that they do not know always what to say in every moment in time, in every conversation they're, they're in the deal process. So, so it's like, so look, my, my, my vision is like, how do we help with that? Right. And, and how do we build systems that, that can work uh, to augment their abilities and their, their strengths with, with our systems. Right. You know, I love, I really resonate with that a lot. It's, um, I do this exercise called like defining like your massively transformative purpose. And like literally mine is to augment human beings, like yeah. both physically and cognitively. And I think that might be, you know, one of the attracting forces that brings people into AI in the first place, because you start realizing like, look, we can aggregate all this information, this rich ecosystem of data that's around us. And then like actually improve how we navigate our reality based off of that prior. Okay. So it's great to hear that you guys also align with this vision of, um, you know, of augmenting humanity. Right. And for those of you in the audience, like that's a great exercise as well. Like, you know, how do you guys view, and this is just an open question, but how do you guys view um, the role of AI? Do you want it to augment your capacities? Do you want to see it replace people? Do you want to merge with it? These are just nice sort of like foods for thought that I think are important as the next generation comes up in this field. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and it's really, um, uh, it, you know, I, I categorize human augmentation into three different buckets. And I say one bucket is, can we anticipate, can we recommend what the human needs to do, right? Before they have to do it. The other one is, can we do something for them that they don't have to do? right? Eliminate parts of it. And one is supplement, augment, right? And the other one is reduce, remove something that some tasks that they had to do, they no longer have to do. And then the third one, do the, do the kinds of things that those, those two, I, I, those two buckets, I kind of label as things that the human could do if they wanted to, right? Right. It's right. like, if, if I, I want to try to figure out what to say, you know, if with enough practice and whatever, I'll know what to say to that customer as a seller. Um, if I want to do this task of, you know, updating my, my call log after, like, you know, I can go do it, but, but I don't want to, right? And then the third one is, is the things that we just don't have the human capacity to do, which is uh, go and read every conversation, you know, uh, that I've had in the past year and coach me, right? Go do this. You know what I mean? It's, it's like things that are just not humanly possible because it's just, there's more calls and hours for you to process and analyze. So why, why have a human do something that they just can't do, right? Mm -hmm. so those are the three ways I like to like say, like which one of these are we doing um, to prioritize is, is development. I really love, I, that's an awesome framework, Elias. Jeff, I'm just curious, so like in your research with NLP, have you ever, I'm sort of just winging this now, but I'm just curious, um, have you ever like faced the point of like, you know, how do you identify like what is the important utterance or the important information to feed to a model to make it more accurate? Um, I'm curious about that maybe on a slightly more technical slant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are a bunch of different things you can do. Like, um, 
uh, running evaluations of a model. Uh, you can, uh, you know, some straightforward things generate a confusion matrix if if you know what the um, gold standard correct uh, classifications should be, then you can see um, quantitatively like which classes are getting confused and that might lead you to move around training examples or lead you to know you need to go looking for more training of that. Um, yeah, and then there's just like general um, text analytics of, of mining data to try to find like what language is recurring that's not well represented in, in your training set. Um, with all these things, you know, it's like anything, the more data you have, um, uh, the more easily you can solve these problems because you start to kind of fill in the gaps of, of um, uh, what information is missing. Be, it, it becomes easier to see the, uh, discrepancies between what's what's occurring often and and where the long tail is that's right and it's fascinating that you bring up this point of you know the gold standard of ground truth because i can't help but think of how that also it connects again with what elias had said which was you know we have such this like a rich trove of data so how do we figure out you know we as humans cannot process all of these multivariate um inputs but what's interesting is you know, one thing that makes us interesting as a species, right, is that we are a collective in some ways, like we form these tribes and you create norms of culture. And from those tribes, we then create like larger groups. And, you know, in determining what is the information that's important for us to input or process, um, that establishing of the ground truth of the gold standard is sort of like what that baseline is for us to then determine like, oh, this model was accurate. Oh, this was um, the appropriate maybe angle to take. And again, there's like this like very subtle interplay, right? I guess of how we design these machine learning models, these NLP models, and how like being mindful of it from that very beginning, one like requires human input. It requires the human input to say like, okay, you should be looking at X, Y, or Z. And then that enables us to, you know, build a scalable solution that can actually bring forth sort of this reality that you had shared Elias. So it's cool yeah, to see it. I mean, you bring up a good point that language is social. Like kids don't learn language by just sitting there doing nothing and watching people for two years and then suddenly starting to talk. It's this kind of experimental back and forth. Like you pick up parts of it, you try to use it, you see how the world reacts and update your models. So I think my previous answer was kind of that's where you start. Like the cold start is like mm. dive into the data and see what's recurring, but even better if you can start to learn interactively, have your bots or whatever AI system you're developing interacting with people getting feedback on like, that was right. That was wrong. Um, and there are a lot of different ways you can do that either um, getting people to review the data or, or using the same models to, suggest things that people say, see if they take you up on the suggestions or correct your suggestions. Um, but, but it's always, yeah, good to look for some kind of feedback loop that's going to make the model smarter and smarter as it interacts with more and more people having similar conversations day after day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it is, um, this is something that 
most people don't have experience with chat. There's a lot of chatbot stuff out there, right? But but people are they're mostly playing around with it and not really delivering them to production to customers, right? And so it's like when our challenge is that we we are convincing you know very large companies, very well-known companies in the world to run a chatbot on their website, on their homepage, right? right. And so, and so that is that is a whole nother level, right? That requires a special iterative process that Jeff is mentioning um, with the with the with the right feedback loop, right? That it's not just the customer, but the customer's customer, the end buyer in our case. And so, this is something that people just when when, when we just focus on the technology and it's like, oh, I'm going to just get more data. I'm just going to get a, a better algorithm, a better transformer, you know, different data set. Just Google release this that doesn't matter, right? It's like, you have to be, uh, you have to set the right expectations, you have to have alignment with the customer, and you have to be working and building up this trust with the customer to want to put this live on the website. Because until you don't see it live with their customers, they'll never be comfortable with it. And so this is we're we're still at the stage that the people that are making the decisions to, to try this in real businesses, right, in order for you to Get the most value about, about your education and the work that you're doing. They're not just going to release an AI bot in the wild and right. just turn it on, right? So how do you go? What is the process for you to train it and, and, and help them along this journey to, to feel comfortable and see that it's not going to be damaging to their reputation? It's not going, it's going to be, in fact, um, an improvement on their customer experience. Right? This is, this yeah so maybe since we're now discussing you know calibrating with the customer and understanding expectations um the other part of this talk was also to sort of just discuss more broadly ai innovation and particularly like how do you guys create solutions for your clients and more specifically like what is sort of like your innovation workflow um so maybe like regarding that context of ai innovation i'm curious like what do you guys think might be one of the biggest pain points or limiting factors when you're developing these types of solutions? Well, there's so, there's so much, uh, I think from, from the business perspective, right, it's like just a lot of noise out there. And right. So when, when people uh, are trying to, uh, one is, is, is really creating that, that experiment, uh, that, that, that experiment situation moment, right, when a company says, I'm gonna try this, because they've been burned by so much AI talk out there, right? And, and not being able to deliver. So that, that's where we, we come in, where we're able to, um, uh, we have way more experience talking to the customers, understanding the problem, right? It's really about, um, uh, how can I say, the way that, that we position our, our technology is like, uh, we understand that it's their effort, their outcome, right? And our capabilities, right? It's a. I think if you don't thoroughly understand the customer's problem, the buying and what they're trying to accomplish, outside of technology altogether, you will never be able to solve it, right? It's like um, it's it's not about like look, I, I deployed this decision tree and it detected intents. It's like who cares, right? <laughs> right. What was the outcome but of our conversation, right? So I think that that's that's the like the 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 most the noise out there. Um, the expectations that people have, those are big roadblocks at the, at the business level, right? That don't allow you to innovate, right? 
and to really think um, how can they see the benefit. Another thing that I, I always work with Jeff, with Jeff when we're, we're designing and, 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 and road mapping, right, is people have to be able to visualize what we did for them, right? Mm. How did, how did, and that's a, a large topic of how do you visualize AI? And that was my next question, actually. So I am curious, yeah, like, <laughs> if you're comfortable with maybe going a little bit further into that, I would love to know how you visualize AI. There's some, like, are you talking about more tools or like conceptual understanding, like helping your client really get like, this is the decision tree of conversation, or are we talking more like, this is what the network looks like? <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, see, that's, I think that that's the problem when we go visualizing technically, right? It's, 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 not really, it's not really about those things, right? It's really about the back seat. You're not listening, Sean. It's about the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the problem is, for example, we, we've learned, right, that uh, back to the human augmentation categories, right? We, we have solutions that in some cases allow a team of 30 do what a team of 100 can do, right? when interacting with, with you know, quali helping qualify and disqualify leads on the website, right? Because of a highly scalable um, AI chatbot, right? And so, so that's okay, right? But it's like, if you only deliver, the, the, if, you, if you can just outperform humans at achieving the same thing, humans, they get to the point that we're like, well, that's not enough, right? I mean, like, well, but, you know, they're not that you know, cost effect, they're not high cost, and then I need to train them to become sellers in the future. So you miss your entire point, you, 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 the entire goal. You thought that just, Jeff has AI bots that can actually carry a conversation and achieve an outcome. Book a meeting with mm -hmm. the customer, right? We have like, probably one of the best bots in the world to do this, right? Right. Uh, and yet, and sometimes- So that satisfies that pillar of capability. But again, as you said, there's effort and outcome as well. Yes. So, and so the customer yeah. doesn't, right? And so the question is where we have to do is, and so what, one of the areas that we, we, we say we, we're, we're improving at visualizing is to compare what was the customer experience on a decision tree or with the human and what is the uh, difference when they interact with an AI bot, right? What else are we cleaning out of that? How do we show that in our reporting? We have, you know, don't want to go into the details right now, right? But we have capabilities of reporting, right? That most companies don't have based on our conversations that that goes to a whole nother level that companies were just never doing before, right? Uh, because we have the ability to understand key moments in conversations uh, at scale. Interesting. You actually just mentioned something quite interesting. So noticing key moments in conversation, what is that sort of like one of the key elements of drift particularly? I think, yeah, um, yeah go ahead. It's, it's, part of, it's part of the secret sauce, right? That's what we, we're, we are, we're, you know, I don't know, right? What, what, what Google and Facebook and, and, and Amazon are doing, right? We, we don't, we're not in, in, inside their R&D labs and we understand some of the areas that they show where they excel at. But in business, right, we're solving a very specific problem. And that's the beauty of, of AI, right? There's just so many problems to solve and you have to focus and you have to understand and saying like, what is it that, we, that, that, we, that we're trying to do? Because most people don't, they're still processing intense. They're still just processing like, you know, 
a question or just processing a, a good a good you know voice response system you know we're focused in, in really listening to our customers and say what is our customer our need help with right uh, that goes beyond just uh, you know having people pass a COVID test right you know online yes this is um you know this actually now bridges really nicely into one of like the key questions that i think everyone is curious about which is so elias and also jeff you know where do you see drift's technology going and maybe more specifically like what would you personally like to see in the field of nlp and in chatbots as a whole like what do you think is like a big big need that is still yet to be addressed um like I said, I think I think what what we are, people are just too focused on on the chatbot, right? And, right? and and I think that there's there's just too it's too limiting to just focus on the chatbot and how we can help because that that forces you down the path of a a hundred percent autonomous, you know, solutions, and 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 so you know what I like to do is I like to always reframe the problem, you know, just take two steps back and not just assume that my problem is to have a all knowing bot and have a general AI that is going to be able to have carry any conversation with any human, right? It's like, it's really, uh, it's, it's finding the intersection of how humans want to interact with chatbots because they're not going to, they're not going to last in the same form forever. Right. However, I will say, you know, would a human rather get a half ass answer, now immediately then wait 24 hours for a human to give you a slightly better answer right right it says like it's about or something i rather care about the that intersection of like how do we set that expectation and know what problem we're solving right so like how do we give the customer that 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 um how do we understand that immediacy yeah yeah but but how do we understand like that the level of answering solution that we can do for that customer with immediacy versus maybe the ultimate problem with that customer was to just wanted to hear a human voice that day right and say like right. i'm about to sign the contract and i just want to hear from the rep i'm trusting you and don't let me down we're going to commit a three-year deal and before i hit the signature on this e-doc are we going to partner right am i making the right choice the body's not going to give that, right? It, it's just like, what, so what problem are we going to be able to solve, right? And so I think that that's, that's where, 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 where Drift spends most of this time thinking, right? Of how to build truly that next generation of conversational marketing and, and not just where people are highly focused today, which is like, look, I can build this chatbot because that chatbot becomes updated really quickly, right? Absolutely. Yes, Elias. Um, I like, you know, this again ties back to, I think, the three pillars that you mentioned earlier of like effort, outcomes and capability, right? Because I think you're also subtly touching on this point of like, we have so many different outcomes, right? And so like knowing what that outcome is, like helps you calibrate and knowing what that level is, helps us be more mindful in the field of NLP. So it's so great. You, so yeah, I mean, go you ahead. picture innovation to be happening everywhere, wherever. Right the customer the user it lives right and so another you know key tenet of us is like go where the buy meet the buyer where they are we do that in in terms of the buyer but in terms of our users right you, you got to go meet them and, and and so figure out how we can 
surface health uh, because uh, I think we're humans were so judgmental <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and we, we will dismiss anything that it that performs poorly or that doesn't meet our, our, our standards or satisfies as in the key moment right so we don't have that many opportunities to wow human being and, and, and that is that is really the the um, I don't want to be in a defensive, in a combative mode with humanity, right? With, with the AIs, our solutions. I'd rather be, okay. Collaborative. Collaborative. Yeah. Like, we're here to help you. We'll do this. We're not here to replace you entirely, but it's like, how do we do, um, how do we start surfacing in places where they say, well, this is helping me and saving me time, right? This is making me better. Uh, and get to the outcome jointly. Right? I resonate with that. I, and I think there's, there's a point to be made there that, the thing about AI that I've, I've seen like over the entire time I've worked on it, I saw this in games and I see it in chatbots in the enterprise is that like it's really easy to spot where the AI did something wrong and, and like the AI could do like 56 things right and they do that one thing wrong and people are like, oh, they did something wrong, <laughs> dumb. Um, but first of all, there's a double standard because people make mistakes too. But more importantly, it's like what Elias is talking about is, is focusing on the outcomes. And, and I think this gets at what you were asking in the previous question too, like being able to explain how the AI arrived at a decision and, and report on all that internal understanding of the conversation can lead to being able to report that like on the fact that like, yes, the AI might have missed answering these three questions, but did you see the number of meetings we booked for you has gone up like 25% over when you were just using humans to do that same job. So it's like um, people kind of lose sight of like, what is the point of the AI? The point of the AI is like to get some outcome that moves the needle for a business. It's not, the whole point of it is not general intelligence and um, sci-fi like uh, uh, creating these like bots that we don't have ever have to talk to humans again. It's um, it's, I think, like you said, very much a collaboration and figuring out where can bots outperform or, or scale what humans are doing and bringing that together and being able to surface that to people to show them, here's what we're, here's the goals of this AI and here's how it's achieving those goals. It's, it's not to measure it in terms of like, is this a perfect recreation of a human? Yes, you know, yeah, and again, that's somewhat of the tension because, you know, from a business point of view, you're like 100% correct, right? Like the purpose of the AI is simply to move the needle, to make it more profitable and to help enable humans. And you may be on that hook, you know, it ties into also this vision, right? Of like, why do we do what we do? Um, why are you doing what you do? And maybe moving a little bit further there, right? Like we always seek to try and improve how we spend our time. Everyone has 24 hours in the day. Some people, you know, spend it building companies and building these chatbots that enable other human beings. And maybe, you know, all of us can sort of agree, right? Like most people would not want to be doing a menial task that could be automated. But unfortunately, given like, you know, either timing, context, or things beyond immediate control, that is what some people must do. And so I think, you know, on a more personal level, like one of the exciting realms of like where this is going and where like not just chatbots, but NLP and the field of AI is like giving people back their time to actually be doing what they like truly care about and love. 
And again, this like, again ties to like that really nice pillar. Like I really appreciate you Elias of like bringing up like effort outcomes and capability because when we get the capability there, we can allow people to now actually work towards outcomes that they personally want. So, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's really about, for example, like if you read, um, the, uh, the Kai Fu Lee book, I don't know. If, if, if you're, That's if you're, so funny you say this because I have that right here. I met up with him, um, last year. So <laughs> it's right here on my, um, it's called AI I would, superpowers. I, say, yeah, I saw it and then mentioned it. I just, you know, I don't know if I did, I trust me, I'm being honest, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting contrast, right, between China and the U.S. And, and, and China is doing things at scale with, with the images and like the transactions and just, okay, the, the best thing of AI that came out of China is TikTok, right? Okay, great. It's like, <laughs> fantastic. And, then, and they're beating us, right? But the U.S. has an advantage of um, the business structure, right? I, I think it, I, I, don't, I don't know if China is making more progress on removing those menial tasks, right? Uh, right? Necessarily, right? And 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 I think so. So I'm I'm more guided by that. I think I think the way you said it is is even a just simpler way of thinking, right? Of, of articulating the problem, of the, the 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 mission, the the attitude, which is I from I've been in in, in tech for over 20 years now, and it just always fascinated me. I worked in an innovation lab at IBM. Uh, in early 2000 and uh, I love building tools that just made life simpler right like in fact my first my first software project in my professional career in 1999 was building a chatbot right interesting it, cool. it, it, <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys remember but it was, it was an instant messaging Jeff does uh, AIM uh, oh yeah I use so, AIM <laughs> yeah I mean so AIM that was built by a uh, Israeli company, Ubique Systems, that was bought by IBM that became the foundation of Lotus Same Time. So we were deploying Lotus Same Time in 99 at, at IBM. And, and it occurred to us to start, build, start building apps as chatbots instead of using the mainframe or a web. And so like, you know, there was a, you know, a big move of moving the IBM directory from the mainframe to a website, but we moved it to a chatbot right first and say and so people could be using the I am client to be querying and finding phone number finding people so we just kept building apps and apps just with regular expressions and parsing like just like the basic commands right and that's how we started and so I think that uh, from then it's a fascination of like laziness you know engineers we tend to be lazy and it's like but we haven't accomplished that we're just doing too many menial tasks in society and so like I want us to to think how do we how do we reduce that and really create room for, for doing more meaningful stuff because uh, there's so much room to, to, to take that right yes I you know I love it a lot of people say like we're at a new type of like industrial revolution and so many there's a lot of like counter like naysayers right who say oh well you know if AI like eliminates like x amount of jobs and like people will have nothing to do but they were saying the same thing when we got rid of what like when we developed light bulbs for example <laughs> or when we you know developed like the car over the buggy it just opened up a whole new set of capabilities so it's exciting to see like what we might be able to accomplish you know in, even in the next 20 years right the face of this earth is like 
so different. Every kid born today is going to have fast Wi-Fi in the U.S. Whereas, like, I think all three of us were born at a time when, like, there was no Wi-Fi. So yeah. that'll be, yeah. So just being mindful, we have about 10 minutes left. I'm noticing that there are still some questions that we're supposed to go through, but I might wing it a little bit because this audience is actually really interested in becoming potentially ML engineers or software engineers. So I'm curious, um, this is to both Elias and Jeff, could you guys maybe share a little bit about how you got to where you are today or more particularly, how did you get your first job in software or ML? Jeff, you're... you're... Uh, <laughs> let's see, my first job, I mean, it's a it's a weird question to answer because like the world has changed so much. Like my my first AI job was in like nineteen ninety six when like people were barely talking about AI. Um, so I I built AI for a um, video game at Sierra called uh, King's Quest Eight: Mask of Eternity, and um, it wasn't very good AI. I was learning it on the job. And I nice. did it because nobody else wanted to work on it because the cool things to work on were 3D graphics and, and physics engines. Um, but that kind of sparked this interest in like, oh, controlling navigation and, and behavior. What action do I take next? And then I, I kind of iterated on that until uh, the last game I worked on was Fear, where we were really focused on like, squads of characters that would communicate and figuring out what should they say to each other that'll like make visual or audi audible like what is what are the minds of the AIs thinking and that then, was your first job like you had to come up with that uh well that was like several games in like four years in but um it's it's kind of been a an evolution a, a kind of a journey of like one thing sparking an interest in another and then that made me interested in like well how do people actually use language it sent me back into research and very kind of non-linear zigging and zagging just kind of exploring things that that seemed uh like hard problems that would be fun to just try to solve but i mean the whole world of ai has changed around me like like just the uh everything that's happened with computing in the cloud and faster processors and more data available and breakthroughs in the research like transformers like just you know on and on so um uh yeah i don't know i think you just have to keep keep looking for for what would be uh interesting problems to solve and and just uh try to keep up as as everything changes that's very consistent actually with like some of the aspiring engineers in this room today I've had like maybe with a fourth of them one-on-ones and whenever we ask the question like you know what is it that you're motivated by I think some of you in this audience have even said like oh I'm, I'm excited about solving challenging problems so it's cool that that's sort of like this invariant trait that is almost just like in this profession like you have to almost want to do that right yeah um, Elias, I'm curious, so how about you yourself? How did you get into your first job? What were the skills that helped you out back in the day? <laughs> yeah. Mindset? Um, yeah, mine is, is, is really, I would say grit 
you know, and perseverance. Uh, so I, I, my, my path is uh, in the 80s, uh, my father um, bought, a, bought a computer. It was a stolen computer, like, you know, somebody stole oh, wow. it. It was nice. like, just like, here you go, have wow. it. And all I could do in that back in the day was like Lotus 1, 2, 3, WordPerfect, you know. So it was not, I, I did not have the, this is the 80s, so I didn't have exposure to like at all. I was just in the garage with it and um, didn't know about programming. And I think I was just a user, right? Right. But that's the moment where it like began since I want to work with computers. And so what happened then is that um, being an immigrant, not speaking English, I didn't know the difference between computer science and information systems in school. Oh, wow. And so I, I, did, I did not have the, the, the counseling, the advising, the coaching, right, to, to know where I needed to be. And so I ended up in business school. Uh, with, okay. So, like, I, I studied business there. And, and then when I graduated, oh, and then my job, I, and then I got a part-time job at IBM that I didn't even understand what the job was, but I applied for it from working at a help desk. And that job was my first programming job where I was working with computer scientists. Most of the interns in that, in that job, in that team, were actual computer scientists, and I was in business. But I was programming um, Lotus Script, Lotus Notes, databases. This was the beginning of the web. Java had just came out. So we, oh, wow. had, you know, so that we had the first, like, I didn't even know what it meant to be, like, write once, runs anywhere, right? I, did, I did, not, did not have any of those concepts. And so I was always, I was winging it, right? I had the imposter syndrome of like learning with them and they would say stuff and I didn't know what they were talking about. And so that was my journey. But so what I always did, I just always took the more challenging job. That's awesome. I love that you like made yourself accountable and that you pushed yourself, you know, like that recipe, no matter where your starting point was, it got you to where you are now. That's awesome. And I, I would do that. And then at some point in the 2000s, they, uh, I worked with a whole bunch of people that went to Stanford and everywhere at IBM. And they were like the computer scientists, the people that started YouTube and all this stuff. And they said to me, you got to go back to school. And so I went and got a master's in computer science at Harvard. And I had to fight to that, push to that, because I didn't have the background. And that was hard in itself, right? Taking those courses and understanding the, 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 the concepts there. And so it's always been that, right? It's like, it's, you got to keep learning and you got to keep pushing yourself uh, to do that. And, 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 but as a founder, as a, as a business leader, it's hard for me to now keep going that technical anymore on, on the stage. But, but, but we have people like Jeff. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you guys are a symbiosis. And um, it's so... Those are like really inspiring words, Elias. And also, Jeff, thank you for sharing a little bit about your background. A lot of people here, um, myself included too, I think we're always asking ourselves like, you know, what next? Like how to improve ourselves in our career path in the field of AI and ML. Um, and I think some of the lessons that you each shared, you know, they capture these sort of invariant principles that we try to share at Outco, which are like, in order to get that job, there's like three real like pillars, right? Like similar to how you said there's effort outcomes and capability. Ours, at least for getting a job, were accountability, um, competence, and confidence, right? And so like, I think the three, both of you like demonstrated that even like at the very beginning of your careers, right? Like even if it was abuse and you were like working like in this like, you know, job where you had to learn on the fly or you were at the help desk, 
you made yourself accountable and you like projected that confidence and then you learned and gained that technical competence. So super inspiring. I think a lot of people here, I'm getting like private messages about how like they want to become you. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> you. I'm Jeff. Yeah. And then, um, and then I did my best to balance to answer the questions as much as I could. And... Yeah. I wanted to also just say thank you. Yeah. Usually what we do is we then like um, answer them live, but most of them are answered. Do you yeah. want to try and tackle these last two questions? Jeff, um, how, do you, how are you going to implement ML on C-sharp.net? <laughs> yes. <laughs> By answering this question live from Lawanzer Quince, how can you incorporate ML using C-sharp.net technologies? Uh, don't use C-sharp. Use Python. Everyone in ML <laughs> is using Python. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, it just basically, you know, most of the examples in, in the course where it's in, in Python, they, they have great toolkits. Might not be the best language in the world, the fastest, but uh, it is the best suited for it. Yeah. Learn another language. I remember when I used to only do Java and I learned Python as my, my first, like, second language that I really, you, you want to always expand your tool set. Yeah, definitely have to be flexible to whatever the new language, library, whatever people are using. Yeah. Well, I, I, a, a little tweak, Jeff. I would say not, not only just go to the newest all the time, but build strength and depth in mm -hmm. one or more languages, right? Like you yeah. want to be comfortable in that, right? So it's like Python has one uh, answer, Quincy, right? It's like it, it, it is the, the, the language of choice for AI at the moment. And so like just, just listen to us and go learn it, right? And, then <laughs> and if you guys are interested in learning Python or if you're interested in just, I mean, Really, these languages are all connected, right? Like they all share very similar concepts. They can be grouped into maybe some families. But really the key is working with those concepts to master them. Doesn't matter which language you choose, although yes, Python is the ideal one of choice in ML data science today. Um, and I want to just remind all of you really briefly, you might've gotten a little poll pop up. Um, if you are interested in learning these concepts, um, please check this box and let us know what day of the week works best for you to do an outco info session. Um, if you're, you know, getting a first step into this field. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we're right at, we have one minute remaining. Any last words, Elias, Jeff? No, keep learning, keep learning and, uh, and don't give up. It's fun. We live in a very interesting times. Yes, I agree. Um, it's been such a privilege talking to you guys, and I know that you guys have definitely changed the lives of some of these people um, in the audience today. So thank you. And it was great learning about Drift AI. I might follow up with you. <laughs> okay. Take care.